Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me here for this Wednesday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. This is a sports ethos presentation, and I am your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. Specifically, check out EthosFantasyBB, guys. I know I've been saying it a lot recently, but that is where all of our new content will be posted throughout this offseason and heading into next year. So make sure you're following over there. Now, today we are jumping into the outfield. We've already done all of the infield positions. And I think we're going to spend quite a bit of time on the outfield. I think it'll probably be five shows, four or five shows. I'm thinking it'll probably take an entire week on it because for a couple of reasons. There's a hell of a lot of outfielders to go through. That's the main one. And two, we're not in any big rush here. We have a long time until we really have any fantasy baseball relevant stuff going on again. So we might as well take our time with it, be thorough, and go through as many names as possible. Today we're going to start off with the elite tier. And we're not going to get through all of the elite names because there are a lot of elite outfielders. There were how many in the top 100 this season? I think about 20, 25 of the top 100 players this season were outfielders. So if we're going through just the elite tier right there, that'll take probably two, probably two days for us to do that. But today we're going to start off with the cream of the crop. We're going to be doing something similar to what we've done this entire offseason. We're going to check back on their ADPs last season how they did this season, and then look ahead a little bit projecting where they're going to be going in 2023 drafts. So the number one outfielder this season, I don't think we need much of a dramatic pause or drum roll or anything like that. It was pretty clearly Aaron Judge. He had 133 runs, 62 homers, 131 ribbies, 16 steals, and a 311 batting average. One of the best seasons, one of the best offensive seasons that anybody's ever had in baseball history. I don't care if you want to argue that one. I'm saying that as a Blue Jays fan, as somebody who has hated the Yankees my whole life, but this is one of the greatest offensive seasons we are ever going to see, specifically coming in an era where the next highest home run hitter was 16 behind him. He led his league by 22 home runs. It was an incredible year for Aaron Judge, and I think it will be rewarded with an MVP. I think that that one's pretty clear. I mean, some people still think it should be Otani, but Aaron Judge is pretty clearly uh, our MVP, I think. Now, his ADP was not terribly high. Um, if we go back to the beginning, of, well, I'm actually looking at all of drafts from last season. This is going from like October until April. This is kind of just looking at everybody and every draft that took place. And he was on average going to pick 36. That's pretty damn incredible if you were able to get him. I mean, even, I mean, that's the average pick. So he was falling below that sometimes. Let's say you were able to get him in the 40s at some points. Maybe sometimes it was higher 30s. But in general, this was didn't really matter where you took him. You got Aaron Judge in the third round, likely, and he was your best player. He was the best player in fantasy this season. Now, where I start to get a little bit worried here is expecting the exact same thing out of Aaron Judge next season. This kind of year, and we've talked about this on the ranking show, I have him a little bit lower than maybe some people would heading into next season. Right now, I have him as number six. 
And, of course, Otani is at number five ahead of him, and that will vary quite a bit depending on your league, depending on how you can use Otani. But I think Judge is about the fifth or sixth guy I'm going to be looking to draft next season. His ADP right now, uh, do I have this set? Yeah, for, this, for these early drafts that have taken place, these 11 drafts, his ADP is five on the dot. The minimum pick was three. The maximum pick was eight. I think that that's all right. I mean, I've seen some people talk about Tim as the 101, the 102. I don't think I would take him with one of my first two draft picks. I think there are some safer options, guys, who you are a little more certain of in terms of their stolen bases. Now, the home runs for Judge are just so far above what anybody else is capable of, it seems, at this point. I mean, Vlad Guerrero could hit 50 homers. Pete Alonso could hit 50. Schwarber could hit 50. There are some other guys. I mean, Tatis could hit 50 probably. And Jordan Alvarez, there are guys who could hit 50, but Aaron Judge, like, hitting 60 home runs. I don't know if the average fan really realizes exactly how how rare of an accomplishment that was. He's not doing it again. That's pretty clear to me that 60, if he does 60 again, I'd be stunned by it. I'd put a lot of money that he won't get. I mean, maybe 50. I think he could hit 50, and maybe 45 to 50 is what we should be expecting. But if you're expecting, you know, 60, 65 home runs again from Judge, you, you're going to be disappointed for sure. And I think with the steals as well, we're probably going to be a little disappointed. If he steals 16 bases again, that would be a huge shocker for me. I think that they'll probably, depending on which team he goes to, if he stays with New York, maybe it'll be generally the same kind of thing. But he goes to a new ball club. Let's say he goes to the Mets for the sake of argument, and he signs a massive $400-plus contract. I don't think they're going to want him to be risking injury too much on the base paths. You know, even though he is a decent little asset there, 16 steals is nothing to sneeze at. I don't know that a team's going to throw a bunch of money at him just to have him risk injury doing that when it's really not what you're signing him for. So I could see the stolen bases going down. I mean, it's almost certain to me that they'll be below 10. If it's in the same kind of range, I'd be, I'd be really surprised. I think across the board, we have to look for a bit of regression. 133 runs, 131 RBIs. Those are really, really high numbers to attain, even one time. But in consecutive years, especially with, you know, if he stays in New York, there's not a great offense around him. I don't think that he'll be able to do that again. I think that we're, you know, if you're taking him at number one in your draft or number two, I think you're playing with fire. There are some guys who are a little bit safer as we head down the board. Let's talk about the next guy in terms of the ranking this season. It was Mookie Betts. He was the number nine overall player, the number two outfielder on the season. 117 runs, 35 homers, 82 ribbies, 12 steals, and a 269 batting average for Mookie Betts. Now, where did I have him ranked? He was somewhere in the teens here, 15. He was number 15 in my rankings. I think that that's probably, I mean, hasn't changed in these last two weeks. These will change a little bit um, as we head into the season, probably more than a little bit, if we're being honest. But I think this is generally going to be a good range for Mookie somewhere late first in a in a 15-teamer or early second in a 12-teamer, I think that probably makes sense for me. That lineup is, is as safe as there is in baseball. You're still going to get 30-ish homers, 80-ish RBIs, and then like a 260 average every single year. And then the average, maybe it pushes up a little bit. Although I think that there was some, not that I want to be, you know, starting any shit here, but there was people talking on Twitter yesterday and the day before about how much of an outlier his 2018 season was, his MVP season. That 346 batting average, his OPS was almost 1,100. His slugging was nearly 650. He's never reached anywhere close to that again. And I think that maybe that skewed how we view Mookie a little bit. He won the MVP. He's won a couple of World Series now. He's an incredible, elite, first-round fantasy talent. But I think that we still partially see him through that lens of he can hit, you know, 340, 330, whatever. He's definitely more of a 260, 270 kind of guy. That was... 
I don't know if there, how much funny business was going on with the Red Sox during that era. I think that we will never really know. Uh, but that was a huge outlier, and I think that's kind of skewed a little bit the way that we see Mookie Betts in these last couple of seasons. He had hit 318 in two, uh, 2016, and, and he's had a couple seasons in the 290 kind of range, but most of the other years he's had, uh, these last two seasons, 269, 264. I think that that's probably going to be closer to what we see the rest of his career, somewhere in that range. I wouldn't expect him to be hitting 300. It's not really going to matter so much for the fantasy value. He's playing on the Dodgers, where they are completely loaded with talent, one through nine. He should be able to get a similar number of runs again. I know that it's a tough number to attain, 117, but he should be able to be in that ballpark again. Everything else should stay roughly about the same, so there's no reason why Mookie Bed should be moved, particularly up or down uh, draft boards. Last season, he was 15th uh, on the NFBC, and over on Yahoo, by average pick, he was 9.6. So let's call it 10 Anywhere in that 10 to 15 range for Mookie, you should feel pretty confident in drafting him. He should be able to, to still remain a first-round player, despite you know the batting average not being maybe quite as high as you might have hoped you know, a couple of years back, projecting what's Mookie going to be three, four years. I don't think we would have thought he'd be hitting 260, 270, but I think that's what it is. That's the one kind of fault I can take from his game here, and it's not really going to stop me from taking him in the first or second round next year. So Mookie Betts, he's still somebody who's going to be an elite elite option in the outfield, but you guys already knew that. Let's move on to our next outfielder here, and I think that he could have actually pushed up higher this season in the rankings if he hadn't missed a bit of time and struggled with the, he had the injured hand multiple times. It was Jordan Alvarez. Maybe it's Jordan Alvarez. I hear it said multiple different ways. He only had 470 at-bats this season, and in the month of August, he had to really struggle through uh, the hand problem that, that hindered his power down the stretch. He had a 234 batting average in August and hit one home run. And he still ended up with 37 homers, 97 RBIs, and a 306 average. So let's say that that month was more like the other months. You say it's seven home runs or something. Like We could easily see Jordan Alvarez get to that 50 home run mark. That is totally possible. Now, this season, he was being drafted maybe even a little bit later than he should have been. It was pick 27 uh, over on the NFBC and over on Yahoo. It was 24. I mean, he ended up as the 11th ranked player on Yahoo. That's incredible, Despite, especially with the time missed, with the lack of stolen bases. The fact that he was a first-round player is ridiculous to me. Now, I have him ranked next season uh, as number 17, and I think that I might move him up a little bit. There are just some guys I feel a little bit more confident about ahead of him. And a big reason why he is here and he's below some other guys on my rankings was because he doesn't steal bases, which is a small thing. But when you're looking at everybody else ahead of him on this board, uh, they're all going to give you, you know, five to ten steals at least. And then it's just more and more from there as you go up the draft board. So that's the one thing with Jordan where you're kind of, okay, that's kind of a zero. He had one steal this year, one last year. It's obviously not going to hold you back. Now, this hand problem... I don't think it's really a big issue with him, although he hasn't been great in the playoffs. Maybe it is still bothering him a little bit, but I think after you get a few months off and he fixes, maybe he doesn't fix, but he has time to rest, whatever is going on in that hand, um, I think that we'll be totally fine drafting him again in that first-round range next year. I just want to pull up his playoff numbers here. He's batting 210 games. He has two home runs. Not great. I mean, 40 at-bats, 12 strikeouts for him, four walks. Just kind of plain Jane stuff out of Jordan Alvarez. Uh, he's going to have to pick it up if the Astros want to make a comeback here. But let's talk about the next guy on the list because I don't think there's really too much to get into in depth with, with Alvarez here. He's going to be drafted in that same kind of range, a little bit higher than he was last year, sure, but in that same kind of range for where he finished this season, which is 
end of the first, beginning of the second round, and I think that that totally makes sense. Next up here, we have Julio Rodriguez, and where you got him in your draft really depends on when you were drafting. Uh, if you look at all ADP data from before last season, which is from, uh, we're sorting from beginning of October 2021 till April of 2022, Julio Rodriguez, during that time frame, his ADP was 248 throughout the entire period of drafts. So, I mean, if you look right now, it's really funny. He was sandwiched between Ramon Laureano and Gavin Lux in terms of where he was being drafted. People were drafting him after Austin Hayes, after Charlie Blackman, after Joe Adele, uh, after Michael Conforto. This is before we knew he was going to be in the major leagues to start the season. But, man, I can't even imagine drafting Michael Conforto before Julio and just seeing how that played out. That's, that's got to be rough. Uh, if you mess around with these filters a little bit and you go like right before the season started, end of March until uh, when did the season start? April 6th or something like that. Let's see what we get for Julio ADP because it was certainly jumping up. It didn't go as high as you might think in retrospect because seeing how high he finished, you might think that he jumped up like way, way high. But sorting here, these last couple of weeks of draft season, he was still falling at pick 149 as the 38th outfielder off the board. So, I mean, pretty much regardless of when you drafted, you were able to get him at a discount. But the discount earlier in draft season was, was freaking ridiculous for Julio. If you look at Yahoo, where he was being drafted, they have it a little bit trickier than the NFBC. The NFBC, you can actually sort through the filters and stuff, which maybe there is some kind of way to do it for Yahoo. I've never figured it out. As far as I know, it's just all their data put in one. Uh, Julio, on average was the 199th pick off the board. It's crazy, especially because he's going to make that jump. The next season, he's a consensus top five pick. Uh, regardless of where you're going to be drafting, he's going in that range. I think as of right now, he actually might be the number one guy in terms of ADP. Uh, let's take a look. He is, yeah, for outfielders anyway. Uh, 2.9 is his ADP for next season. Only Trey Turner is being picked above him on average in any given draft, and I'm a little bit worried that we're going to end up having too high expectations for Julio and he's going to end up disappointing us. Like I have him at four and I think that that's probably about right. I just can't see the argument to jump him ahead of Acuna and ahead of Jose Ramirez. Now maybe with, with Acuna, you worry that the power is not going to be there or you know, the injuries are still going to be affecting him. I'm not really worried about that. I think the lineup around him especially is is so comforting to know that when he's out there, it is it is incredibly elite. Uh, the the stack cast metrics, his hard hit contact metrics were were just the same as they always were, uh, you know, 90th percentile and better in terms of a lot of his hard hit metrics and whatnot. Exit velocity, uh, he has got one of the hardest max exit velocities I think in baseball this season. He's not somebody I'd worry about. And Julio is not somebody you'd really worry about either. But I think if you're going to choose one or the other, I'd go with the guy who's got a bit more of a track record. Granted, there is still that injury. But it's a year now removed, a year and a half removed from that ACL tear. So I'm not as worried about that. Jose Ramirez is another guy where I'm, I'm a little safer in terms of drafting these guys as my first pick. We know what they're going to do for many years now. We've seen what they can do. In terms of their home runs, their steals, and their batting average, Julio, we know what he can do. And, you know, I even put it here in the article kind of tongue-in-cheek. We don't know if he could be a 30-30, a 40-40, or a 50-50 guy. We still have no idea what he's going to be. Now, maybe he steals a little bit less next season. I wouldn't be shocked by it. But maybe he steals more. Maybe we see him push up to 35-40 stolen bases next season. This year, it was 25. Maybe we see him get 30. 28 home runs, I could see that being 35. There is certainly all the reason in the world to take him in the first round here, early in the first round. 
but he's not somebody that I'd be pushing up ahead of guys that we just mentioned there. These top three guys, Turner, Ramirez, and Ronald Acuna are definitely the top three for me, and then Julio shortly thereafter. He's still going to be an elite talent. I love what he can do. I love the Mariners. I mean, I don't love the Mariners, I guess, but especially after they knocked out my Jays the way they did. But I think that their lineup can be really, really great for fantasy purposes. And Julio is not going to be, I don't know. I, I say that Acuna's lineup is a lot better, and it is, but that's not to, to poo-poo on the Mariners. They still have a really good team, and I think that they'll continue to add pieces. I think we're going to see, probably in baseball, just as a side point here, these next couple of years, these top teams that are not succeeding really, really push, because there's a lot of teams that are not really succeeding, and their their fan bases and their ownership are kind of getting sick of it. The Yankees, I think they're going to make a lot of a lot of pushes. Um, you know, we're going to see probably the Mets make a pretty strong push for free agents. If Houston loses the World Series here and it's just you know loss after loss deep in the playoffs for them, going back, to, I mean they won the World Series, but since then it's been a lot of deep playoff runs with losses. I think that they may go and add another piece. Seattle is another team on the up and coming. They've been adding pieces for the last year. I think that they'll keep doing it. These top heavy teams or these teams at the top of the standings, I think you're going to continue to get better and better. And that's just something that's it's not really based in fact. It's just kind of a hunch of mine that these ownership groups and these fan bases are going to put a lot of pressure on these teams to say, okay, enough with the bullshit. You know, go out, spend the money, and we can maybe have a, a World Series. I don't think that every team is going to do that, but I do think that we're going to see it with the Yankees, with the Mets, with the Astros, if they lose, uh, with the Blue Jays, with the Mariners. There's a couple other teams I think that are going to start to spend a little bit more money because they haven't made it as far in the playoffs as they might have hoped for. The Dodgers are another one. We'll, we'll see what happens with the Dodgers. Everybody always talks about how it's a Mickey Mouse World Series they won and blah, blah, blah. I can see them spending some money as well. All these teams that are the elite-level teams, I think that they're just going to get better and better, and the, and the shit teams are just going to get worse and worse. So that's just something to keep in mind as we head into draft season. And it's it's just my, my hunch, my intuition. I think, I mean, it's kind of... I'm not really going out on a limb saying that, that these expensive teams are going to spend more money, but I think that they're going to make a, a serious push. There's a lot of teams that have disappointed in the playoffs these last few seasons. We've seen a really chalky team go to the World Series, and then we see usually on the other side... Kind of a, a weird, sneaky team. Like, you know, this year's Phillies. Uh, you know, the Braves even last year were like an 87-win team or something like that. The Nationals, the Rays, teams like that when they make the when they make the World Series. Some elite team that spends a lot of money is getting left out of that equation and that will make their owner want to spend a few more bucks. So I, I think that we're going to see these, these teams at the top spend a lot of money. And I think just to close out the Julio point, I could see Seattle adding in a couple of pieces. I know... They've talked about Jesse Winker. There was some disconnect in the clubhouse. People didn't like him or he didn't like them or there was some high school kind of stuff going on there. I think he's probably gone. Maybe not, but I think it's likely and they bring in another solid outfielder to replace him. So I, I'm not worried at all about the lineup. I think that it's there's some safer lineups if you're going to draft. You know, if you draw a top three or top four pick, I'd worry about taking Julio, you know, one or two. I think, you know, three or four, a little bit more reasonable, but... In a similar way to Aaron Judge, I wouldn't be taking him number one. For different reasons, but same results, I would not be jumping at the top of the board to take those particular guys. Kyle Tucker is the next guy we are going to discuss here. I'm a big Kyle Tucker fan. I have him at number seven in my rankings. I think that he could easily be a top five fantasy player. You know, it may sound kind of crazy, but we have seen him hit close to 300 this year. It wasn't as great of a season. I think he had some BABIP troubles, and he did have a really poor start to the year, which kind of weighed down the entire thing. But we've seen now consecutive seasons of 30 home runs. Uh, he hit over 100 RBIs this year. And we saw his steals go from 14 up to 25. 
I think that it's pretty fair to project him as a 30-30 guy who can give you in the range of close to 100 runs and close to 100 RBIs every single year. Uh, he's going to be a guy, I'm not the biggest dynasty player, but he's got to be like a top five, top same kind of range for dynasty, if not even higher. Uh, I, I really like him. He's only 26, or he's going to be 26 heading into next season. And I think that we could see him put up even better numbers than we've become accustomed to these last couple of years. Could it be 35, close to 40 home runs? It's possible. I think it's totally possible for him. He started pretty poorly this year. Everybody kind of, I, I got one or two questions in April about, is Kyle Tucker going to be a guy I should roster all year? It's like, yes, absolutely. It was the same thing as everybody else who was struggling in April. For the most part, they ended up figuring it out, and that's kind of just, you know, something that always happens with elite names given, regardless of the fantasy sport, regardless of the sport, they're going to turn it on. And a guy like Tucker, we know the, we know the potential that's there. Uh, yeah, I think there were one or two people maybe at the beginning of the year who might have dropped him. You know, maybe somebody who didn't have the most fantasy experience. You've only been playing for a year or two or something like that. And you see Kyle Tucker, you know, kind of floundering out of the gate. And you think, ah, okay, you know, on to the next one. So people legitimately thought that and did that. That just kind of goes to fantasy in general, fantasy everything. Don't be cutting guys. Even, you know, even in the NBA, we're seeing it right now. Don't be cutting, you know, top 30, 40, 50 picks just because they're struggling out of the gate. You need to give guys more time. We gave Tucker more time. He ended up as the 23rd ranked player on the season, according to Yahoo, and that was totally cool. That was even with 71 runs, which is not a great number. I mean, he's somebody that in the batting order in Houston, he's bounced around, middle of the order kind of guy. In any other lineup in baseball, he'd be a three-hitter, maybe a four-hitter, but certainly not a five or six kind of hitter like we've seen in Houston. They do weird lefty-righty stuff. They want to have a lefty and then a righty, and then a lefty and then a righty in the lineup. So sometimes Tucker, I don't think they do that every game, but Tucker has been um, not really favored in that, in that regard by Dusty Baker. He was batting fifth and batting sixth a lot when, when really he probably shouldn't be. So maybe that's something that over the years we see corrected a bit with Tucker. <clears throat> he becomes more of a regular three guy in the order, four guy in the order, and then I think that the sky is the absolute limit for him. Uh, no problem drafting him here, middle of your first round next season. If he falls to the late first round territory, I'd be really, really happy with that. Let's just take a look here. Uh, I want to see where he's going in these early drafts. Uh, ADP of 7.82, so pretty much right in line with what we've got going here. Our last outfielder we're going to look at today is Adelise Garcia. And just looking back to his ADP, we've done this once or twice throughout the year, but it's just shocking to see how low he was going heading into this season. 171st pick over on the NFBC. Even after last year where he had 31 homers, he drove in 90 runs, he had 16 steals. People were still not taking chances on him. And I mean, I guess people were thinking it was kind of a fluky thing or whatever. They didn't trust the team, but... Seeing the reinforcements they brought in, they brought in Marcus Simeon, they brought in Corey Seager, another year of development for a young guy like Garcia. I mean, I guess we had to kind of figure it would have got a bit better. I mean, I know the development is not linear. We've seen it with guys like Tyler O'Neill was like a, a dagger in the heart for me this year. Sometimes it's not always, you know, an upward trajectory. Sometimes there are bumps along the way. But I don't know why we were taking him so low here. I mean, he was somebody who had a really good fantasy season last year. He was one of the better assets that you got off the waiver wire. And for whatever reason, people were still ignoring him this season. So, I mean, we're not going to see that trend continue into next year. Let's see where he is going in these early drafts. I have him as an honorable mention on my top 50 list because I didn't think that he's quite a top 50 guy. I don't think he's far off from it. But I have him just outside of that. Now, this year in drafts, his ADP is 66. He's the 19th outfielder off the board. 
it still feels like a bit of a bargain to me. I think I'm going to have them, you know, in that 51 to 55 kind of range when I put my next update out. It might, might vary a little bit, but that's generally where he's going to go. If you're getting him below Corbin Carroll, I, I like that personally. I think I probably would go with Garcia. He's a bit of a safer option with Carroll. We're expecting him to take a big step forward, but, I mean, what did he have, 110 at-bats or something? We don't really know what he can do at the Major League level where we kind of know with Garcia and even guys, other guys going below here. Um, man, it's Corbin Carroll, we're going to have to spend some time on this because this is uh, a kind of a ridiculous ADP at 63. This guy's going below him. That really shouldn't be. Kyle Schwarber, George Springer, Tommy Edmond. Uh, even Tyler O'Neill is going 45 picks lower. Man, we're going to have to get into Corbin Carroll at some point. But Adelise Garcia, if you're, if you're seeing him go at 66 in your draft, then that's going to be a, a really nice place for him. Now, we've talked about the minimum and maximum pick a lot in these last couple of days. The minimum pick, the highest that somebody reached for him was a pick 44. That's the end of the third round. That's a little bit much for me. I'm just, I mean, these are all 15 teamers that are going on right now. You're taking him at the end of the third round. You're setting yourself up for disappointment probably. But the maximum pick, the lowest that he fell in any draft, was 112th. If you're able to get him at, a, at 112th, then you're laughing. Like the dude was the 24th-ranked player this season on Yahoo, giving you 27 homers, 25 RBIs. Or 25 RBIs. 27 homers, 25 steals. 101 RBIs, 88 runs, and he batted 250, which is not great, but you're still taking that production every single day and twice on Sunday, especially in a points league. Like, if you don't have to worry about the batting average and you just get the constant runs, homers, RBIs, everything else that he does and not really have to worry about that 250 mark, which actually, as a side note, is not that bad. I mean, I think in my head it's a lot worse than in reality it actually is. I think the league average was 240 this year. So a 250 average is not the worst if you're trying to have a high batting average for your team. Obviously, it's not the greatest, but everything else that he does uh, is really fantastic. So if I, at, eh, if Adelise Garcia is falling down into pick you know, sick, right where his ADP is pretty much 66 to 70. I mean, Christ, that'd be a, that'd be a really good range for me there. Even a little bit higher, I'd have no problem jumping up a touch and taking out Elise Garcia, like 55, 60 kind of range. I think that that's all right. Once we get into like the top three rounds, you're worrying me a little bit there, but if he's your fourth pick, I'm not terribly worried about that if it's a 15-teamer. Now, you know, different formats, obviously different t- league sizes are going to vary. Your fourth pick, your third pick, your second pick, whatever it is. But I think somewhere in that 60, mid-60 kind of range fits for him pretty well. Guys, that's going to wrap it up for us today. We are going to spend maybe even more than a week on outfielders because there are just so many of them. A lot of them, or not a lot of them, some of them we've touched on and other position shows uh, guys like Tommy Edmund we've touched on, uh, Brandon Drury, Ahmed Rosario, guys who are on this list because that's where they're eligible still, but they're not going to necessarily be touched on. It, it's a really, really deep list. Tomorrow we're going to be going through the next group of guys based on how they finished this season. Schwarber, Rosarena, Mike Trout, Cedric Mullins, George Springer, uh, Mike Harris, Starling Marte, Stephen Kwan. We'll see how many we get through exactly, but that doesn't even take us outside of the top 80 in terms of overall rankings. Then you got guys, I mean, we talked about Varsho and the catcher show. Maybe we'll mention them. And then you got Brandon Nimmo. You got Yelich, Santander, uh, Teoscar Hernandez, Acuna. It's a really, really deep position here. We haven't even got to Juan Soto yet or Bryce Harper in terms of overall rankings. Like, there are a lot of dudes to cover. So we're just going to kind of go with outfield for a while here, I think. Maybe it'll be, I mean, it'll be at least five days. That's what I'm thinking off the top of my head here. 
and then maybe we'll extend it beyond that. I've said this before on the show that this is essentially curb your enthusiasm. We have a general outline. We're talking outfield. We're talking elite outfield. And then we kind of fill in uh, the gaps as we go along, just like Larry David does. Although nowhere near to the same level uh, that Larry is able to do, of course. But guys, that's going to wrap it up for us. I'm actually going to be getting on a flight later today. Uh, when does it leave? Uh, about six hours from now. I'm going to be flying down to Arizona for first pitch, uh, the first pitch Arizona conference put on by Baseball HQ. That should be uh, an incredible, uh, incredible amount of fun. We're going to be talking on Twitter quite a bit. I'll be putting up a bunch of pictures and different info and stuff. I'm not going to be, you know, giving out stuff for that they're making people pay to attend the conference for. You're not going to get free uh, proper information there. But there's a lot of cool stuff that will be going on. So we'll try and document some of it. I'm going to be doing a draft and hold on Saturday. Not sure who all else is in the league. I remember looking very briefly when I signed up, but I'm going to have to really familiarize myself with these players, look at their... Maybe look back on some drafting patterns and stuff like that. I'm going to be probably live tweeting my picks because the hell with it. Why not? You know, something to do there. Uh, give you guys a little bit of content. And, you know, that should be uh, that should be it for Saturday. So we're going to be talking baseball these next few days. Hopefully get a podcast or two recorded while we're down there. Uh, if you're listening to this, if you're in the baseball industry, if you're going to be down there, hell, send me a message. We'll, we'll record something. I'm hoping to meet every single person who's going to be there and hopefully get a bunch of stuff recorded as well if possible. So, We'll wrap it up there. Enough of the rambling for me. Guys, if you're going to be in Arizona, come say hi. I'm not sure how many of you guys are going to be there, but I'm sure there's one or two of you who might be even listening to this down on the plane. If you're going to be down there, I'll have my name tag, whatever. Come down, say hi. We'll shoot the shit, get a beer. Anyway, guys, take care. We'll see you tomorrow. And cheers. Cheers.